Hi, I'm Logan Cummins. I'm a former pro wrestling creative, a mediocre stand-up comedian, and a ranch-dressing aficionado who lives beyond my means. This is my weekly podcast where I set out to make friends with each and every one of my guests faster than WrestleMania tickets sell out. Sometimes it works. Other times, not so much. Welcome to Fast Friends Podcast, my podcast where I attempt to make friends with my guest in less time than it took for Shawn Michaels to defeat Bret Hart at WrestleMania 12. My name is Logan Cummins and I am your host. And today's guest, I'm very excited to have on the show. He's a writer, actor, and comedian, a co-creator of the sitcom The Jams. Uh, if you're in the Chicago area, you'll recognize his voice as the voice of Afternoon Radio on Chicago's 101.9 The Mix. Please welcome to the show, Chris Petlack. Hello, what's up? That was a nice introduction, man. <laughs> Don't you wish you got that like every morning when you woke up? Yeah, no, I, I want my wife to read that off every time I come home. Like every time I walk <laughs> in the door so my kids know, that's who this dude with the big teeth is. <laughs> I will uh, email it over to her and see yeah. if we can work that in. Her credits are better than mine, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks thanks so much for, uh, for coming on. Before we get started, um, I typically start the podcast by asking people right off the top, what are three things that we appear to maybe have in common oh man okay well first off right there you mentioned bret hart and Shawn michaels i grew up a big wcw fan as okay. in like junior high and high school and then in college my buddies and i reconnected with the wwe at the height of like john cena fandom so i think wwe we might have some touch points throughout on that which is nice you've got a microphone in front of you which i spend <laughs> most of my time doing so i think we have that going for us and then i well i cheated because i read a bunch of your tweets so we've never met which i guess makes great sense for this podcast but i know you do stand up and i also do stand up so that was another nice touch point i saw so i was like oh this will be great oh, this will be no problem at all <laughs> yes it's it should be fun. And we'll, we'll get into that uh, with, with comedy um, and touch yeah. on that for sure. And wrestling, I like I could talk for hours about wrestling. So Okay. Uh, <laughs> so way back when, when Bleacher Report was first becoming a thing, I want to make, I'm trying to think like 2010, 2011, maybe. A friend of mine worked there and I was like, hey, dude, I would love to be one of the just rando writers because they would accept writing submissions from people. And so I was like, hey, man, can I write some stuff? He's like, well, what would you want to write about? I was like, WWE. Because at the time... We were watching it like every week and we, were, we would get together and do the pay-per-views or whatever. And I did an article about one of the referees, Charles Robinson. I don't know oh, if yeah. that name. Okay. So shorter guy, blonde hair. He's the most like active ref in the WWE universe for my money. Like he's very like, whoa, like every time oh, yeah. a player, like, uh, you know, a superstar gets punched and he reacts like he got hit. So I wrote this whole article about like, he is the best superstar in the WWE that you don't know or recognize. <laughs> and he really retweeted the story and i was like i've made it this is it That's i've made amazing. it this is the highest it will ever happen so anyway yeah 
in the, a lot of people that like go to wrestling a lot call him Lil Nate because he like kind of resembles Ric Flair, like with the hair. Yes. So it's yes. like Little Nature Boy. But yeah, he's <laughs> he's a great he great uh, a great seller of yeah, all he the really is. offensive moves for sure. What I like about that is he doesn't forget that he is as important a part of the like the match. You know what I mean? Because I do think you get some refs who kind of just like hide out in the corner, and it's like no 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 no, you're in every shot. Like you oh, yeah. are, especially for the audience at home. Like you need to also sell how hard this hurts or whatever. So anyway. Yeah, help us help us draw yes. the fans in. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Chris, just to kind of explain to you a little bit of the premise of the podcast, essentially think of it like our parents arranged a play date for us. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so at the end of this, I'm going to ask you if you would be my friend or not and put you on the spot. Oh, man. Pressure's on. Swipe left or swipe right by the end of the night. Look at this. Absolutely. I am too old to have been on any apps like that. Same. So yeah, that's that's pretty much it. So you are, are you from Chicago originally? Yeah. So I grew up in Mount Prospect, Northwest suburbs here. So uh, my folks still live in the house I grew up in. So grew up in Mount Prospect and then went to Prospect High School and then uh, went to Illinois State University. And then after college, moved home for a couple of years and then moved into Chicago proper with uh, some buddies and lived on the north side. So yeah, I'm from here and grew up here. Right on, right on. I am up in the suburbs now as well. We literally just moved to like... Oh, cool. I guess the beginning of this month. Um, okay, which one? Uh, we're in Glenview. Oh, my dad grew up in Glenview. That's awesome. I yeah. like it. It's I mean, you know, you know, it's nice. We've been in the city for like ten or eleven years. Uh, okay, my job is north. Okay, so I got transferred. You're like, we got to split the difference here a bit. Absolutely, absolutely. What was life like for you as a kid? Like, are you uh Tell me about your childhood. Happy yeah. Kid. Um, oh yeah, happy. Yeah, no, it's funny. Um, this is random. I was talking to some coworkers here. There's there's uh, a group of folks I work with here who are doing a new podcast, and in it, they were talking about antidepressants and whether or not who among them is on them or whatever. And one girl was like, "I'm not on any. I'm just raw dogging my emotions." And I was I went to them after the fact, and I was like, "I'm not either. Is that weird?" They were like, "You must have had a great childhood." So, <laughs> but yeah, it was. It was awesome. I have a brother and a sister. I'm the youngest of three, so my brother's six years older than me, and my sister's two years older than me. So throughout grade school and stuff, my brother was always like much older than me. We all went to the same grade school, St. Raymond's and Mount Prospect. So from like kindergarten to eighth grade, we were or preschool, really, we were in the same place. Mm -hmm. So there was a really nice consistency there. Now as an adult looking back, it was like, oh, wow, it was so consistent from as far back as I can remember all the way to 14. I was going to the same place with the same people. So that was cool. I think that really helped solidify kind of like me figuring out I guess who I was in the crowd, you know what I mean? And I kind of, I guess I would qualify myself as like the class clown growing up. I was always cracking jokes and goofing around and I would get in trouble for talking too much, like that kind of stuff. So it'd be like, can you stop? Just <laughs> sit there quiet. Like that would be me growing up. And then in high school, I always wanted to be a chef. That was like the thing I always wanted to do. I wanted to like own a restaurant and be a chef. That's That was my big plan from literally like fourth grade. So like 10 years old, I'm like, yeah, because when I'd be homesick, I would watch Frugal Gourmet on PBS, which would come on after like Mr. Rogers and stuff. Anyway, it was just like old white haired dude that would cook like French cooking. And so I just got into cooking. I thought it was so cool, but I never really, I would cook at home with my mom and stuff like that. So anyway, decided like, I'm going to be a chef. And I would tell anyone that would listen like, yeah, I'm going to own a restaurant and it's going to be great. And then about sophomore year of high school, I played basketball. So I was playing basketball freshman year, sophomore year. There was this girl that I really liked and we were walking out of school together and she walked into the theater and I was like, oh, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, I'm going to audition for the fall play. I was like, yeah, me too. Uh, and so I walked in with her and I got cast in the show and she did not. And so then oh. I was like, oh, I was like, I guess I'm doing this 
show now. And so I did the show and really, really liked it. And I was like, oh, I like this thing. And the director at the time, Mr. Marquette, who was like at Prospect High School, he was the director of all the stuff when I was a kid. And he directed like the whole fine arts department or whatever. Anyway, during rehearsal one night, he was like, hey, man, you might have something here. And I was like, "Okay, this is it. I'm not a (laughs) chef anymore. I'm an actor. Yeah. Uh, And so, you know, growing up, it was always like comedy night at the dinner table for me. It would always be like, you know, whatever was happening in the back of my mind. I just I just knew that I'd be able to like crack jokes and goof around. And my parents were cool with that. And they would laugh. And I always felt like if I got my parents laughing and my brother and my sister laughing, then it was just like that was my crowd, you know. And so I've always sort of enjoyed getting people to laugh. And I don't know, for me, it's never about walking into a situation and saying like, I'm going to make you laugh now or like, you know, wanting to do it. It's just sort of reactive and goofing around. And growing up, I always had the freedom to do that. And I do think that that kind of impacted me in a positive way into like adult life and using humor as a way to get to know people and to disarm people. So I've always found that to be super, super useful. So yeah, sophomore year, I do this play at Prospect and then by junior year, I'm doing all the shows, senior year, same thing, and then decided to become an acting major and went to Illinois State. So from like adolescence on, it was great. Like we had a great neighborhood we grew up in and it was kind of wonder yearsy, our neighborhood. It was literally <laughs> like outside when the sun came up until the sun went down. And, you know, now I have a daughter. I have a t- almost two year old. I don't know when this comes out, but she'll be two on the 13th of June. So we're coming up on it. Uh, and so she uh, now it's kind of the same thing. Like we've got a neighbors right next to us with a three year old son and a one year old. So we're like, oh, my gosh, we have this little pocket of kids for her to play with. And this is exciting. So, yeah, it's kind of wild how now being all the way at the other end of like being a parent and looking at her and being like, OK, wait how did I end up like this? We got to figure this out because my wife is also equally like level, you know? So I'm like, all right. And she grew up in Schaumburg. And so, yeah, it's, it's really interesting now being a parent and thinking about all that. So I guess no pressure, that's though. the no long pressure. way. No pressure, honest to God. Isn't that yeah. the truth? It's just sort of like, we're all doing our best. And my parents both worked full time. Like my dad's a dentist and my mom ran his dental office. So they, or ran their dental office, I should say. So they have worked together since they met. They met working together. They got married. They've been together for like over 30 years. And it's like, as a couple on planet Earth, I'm not sure there is any other that has spent as much time together as they have and are still like excited to be around one another. So I always, isn't it weird? Yeah, it's crazy. But I've always been lucky to have that wonderful example now as an adult looking back at it as a kid you don't know you're like yeah it's mom and dad this is great yeah they work together don't your parents work together like no (laughs) they don't you know uh and so now it's cool to to have had that example i think as an adult which is great so yeah that's damn that's a lot of time the girl that you walked into the tryout the audition with did did she ever make it in any of the the plays that you were in oh she did yeah she did she was super talented we're still friends her name's katie uh we're still friends she's married now to one of my college roommates oddly enough and they just had a baby she's hyper talented she's an ophthalmologist now so yeah, she's doing, she's all good. <laughs> she's doing okay. <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. Good to know. Good to know. Aside from frugal gourmet, like what, what, <laughs> what other TV shows were like sort of your must watch TV shows? Sure. When yeah. You were yeah, yeah. Up? Uh, we were a home improvement household for sure. Home improvement was like the big one because everybody could watch it. Like my dad liked it. We also always thought that Tim Allen in that show, Tim, Tim, the tool man, Taylor, uh, he, uh, hyper reminded us of our own dad, like my brother and sister <laughs> and I, cause my dad is super handy and always likes to fix stuff like he built the deck in the yard and anytime something was broken like he has this motto like 
anything can be repaired unless it's glass. Like the only thing that you can't repair is glass. And I'm like, well, technically you can melt it down, but whatever. So yeah, he always just reminded us of him. So we all liked watching Tool Time together, which was really fun. Although my dad never tried to put like a gas engine in a dishwasher or something like that. Sure. So that, but then also like I grew up on Saved by the Bell and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the cartoon. So got into all those. And then in high school, I was a Smallville guy because I love superhero stuff. So I was hyper into that, which was great. And I had a couple buddies that were into it, but but yeah, and then yeah, WCW Nitro was like another that was a heavy one for a few years there. So, but those are probably the big ones. I mean, Full House was always around. Fresh Prince of Bel Air was always around. Roseanne, I never liked. Like even as a kid, it felt too. I guess because of as realistic as it was, but it felt depressing to me to watch. I was like, I don't feel good watching this. I feel like, and I didn't understand it as a kid for sure. But now as an adult, having looked back at it and been like, oh yeah, they were dealing with a lot. They were like low income and they were struggling and there were all these things about it that I guess it just even as a little kid I was like I don't think I like this I don't know it was weird that's interesting because if you were to ask me the same question like Roseanne was one that we watched a lot in my house okay yeah it, it, it did like resonate a lot um so I think it's funny it's just the two different do you, do you like it now like can you watch it now I haven't tried really you know I think I might like it maybe um I didn't watch the new Connors either, the new one. I haven't watched that yet. And I know that's had turmoil surrounding it in the last few years anyway. I don't know. It just never connected with me, I guess, in that way. Uh, and maybe that's me like showing my privilege or something like that. But but yeah, I don't know. No, I mean, it, it, you know, it just makes sense. Like as a kid, it's I don't know. You like, you know, you don't like you said, you don't understand a lot of it. It's like, yeah, it's almost it's just, just you like, like it or you don't like it or right? you don't like as a kid. Almost it's like now as an adult watching things like Toy Story or like my daughter loves Frozen. Like she doesn't mm -hmm. understand the story. She just asked to see Anna and Elsa. And so it's interesting. It's like you connect more with like the colors and the like movement of it all. But I remember loving Fresh Prince because I just thought Will Smith was like hilarious. You know what I mean? Those were the kind of the staples in our house. It's awesome. Yeah, Fresh Prince was was a great show also <laughs> a total aside because i have two nieces that are twin nieces oh uh, yeah great love frozen also but they literally just call it like anna elsa yes like the show that's it yes it's uh, totally. and it's one word it's like anna just elsa. one name anna elsa yep. they're always together yeah, yeah, yeah i actually had never seen it and so i didn't know that they were like sisters yeah yeah yeah, yeah. oh yeah so learn it's something funny. new all the time in our house now, there are a handful of shows. So our daughter, she doesn't watch a lot of TV, but on the weekend, Saturday morning, because when I grew up on Saturday morning, it was cartoons because like from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. or whatever, the cartoons were on, you know. So on Saturday, when we wake up, I'm like, Saturday morning cartoons, you want to do this thing? And so she's very into like Mickey Mouse Clubhouse on Disney Plus. That's a big one. There's a show on Netflix called Word Party. <laughs> it's just these like baby animals learning words it's great and then elmo like anything elmo she goes like nuts for and a buddy and i were talking about it because he has a three-year-old and he was like we went to see an El like a sesame street live thing he was like they brought out big bird and people were like yeah all right big bird and like bert and ernie like all right awesome oh yeah okay great and like oscar the grouch woohoo great 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 he's like elmo kicked the door down and it was like the rolling stones like kids were just shitting their pants in in it, like amazement that elmo was there and and then we were kicking around the idea of like a behind the stage series where it's Elmo, but he's like, he's got like a little bit of Coke under his, like his little <laughs> nose and like he's in the back and he's treating everybody else like crap because he knows like they're all here for me and he's Mick Jagger and he's Adam Levine and who cares about the rest of this band, you know, which is, but then I guess that's just Avenue Q. So there you go. I was going to say, I was going to liken it to like the bad Santa movie. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Bad Santa. Or even like, um, the, uh, the, 
marionette puppet movie that the South Park guys made. I, I always forget oh, the name of it. The yeah. police one. Anyway. I, yeah, I know. I can't. That's going to bother yeah, me. Yeah, what is going to bother me? Yeah. I'll, I'll think of it like tonight. Yeah, it'll pop in your mind as you're falling asleep. Like, Absolutely. Oh, when, oh, that one. when you guys do... Uh, because for us, we also did cartoons on Saturday morning with yeah. cereal. Do you do the cereal thing or are you like, nah? So, no, yeah, we do. So she, because I love cereal. So I'm still like, generally I eat a bowl. I, I said this once as people, we were doing like a meet and greet thing and people were like, say something uh, interesting about yourself. And I was like, I eat a bowl of cereal every day. I find that to be interesting. But some people were like, that's not newsworthy, <laughs> dude. That's just <laughs> breakfast. But yeah, I still love like, I also have this thing and I guess this ties into it, but there's a lot of stuff from my childhood that now as an employed adult i will get because i can so like cocoa puffs rice krispies frosted flakes lucky charms like every time i'm at the grocery store i'll just rotate through one of them and i'll snap it up you know what i mean and that's the same thing like i've gotten really into sneakers in the last like five years and part of it was because when i was a kid i had jordan fives that i somehow convinced my parents to let me get and of course like within two weeks i destroyed them and wore them and my feet grew so fast that i wore them for like six months and i (laughs) didn't fit in them anymore so then as an adult i was like i need to get these and i ended up getting jordan fours instead of the fives but one day i'll get the fives but anyway (laughs) so yeah cereal is still a big thing like she i'll let her try you know cocoa puffs or but she eats them dry mostly just like in a snack cup and just sort of eats them but yeah cocoa puffs are a hit there's also this really good like sesame street cereal they make now and it like has the characters on the box so she'll like look at the box and i i grew up reading the cereal box you know so we try to do that too i love when people kind of bring back traditions right that they had as kids i think that's like we don't have our own kids but like with our nieces we try to do a lot of the same stuff that we did as kids yeah. right? so um, i get them the uh we're, we want to get them the Snoo- uh, Snoopy snow cone maker where you like grind. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't <laughs> wait for that because that's like so much work for zero reward. For no right? output. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I do think so. Like I'm very nostalgic about childhood. Like there'll be movies that'll pop up and I'll be like, I'm going to watch that again. Like Sandlot. Like I'll watch Sandlot like once a year because it makes me feel nostalgic for childhood. And that happens at Christmas time. Like Christmas time for me is very nostalgia based. It's all about like being a kid again. Yeah. And now Halloween is starting to to matter to me again because when i was a kid halloween was like one of the big ones i loved it and then in high school it started to fade a bit because people were like too cool for it and then in college it was just about like put on the least amount of clothes and go get drunk and i was like <laughs> yeah this is i'm not it like whatever this isn't exciting anymore and then post-college for the last like however long it's just been like another day and now having a kid like my daughter was uh she was ruth bader ginsburg for halloween this year which was mostly heavily my wife and i being like this is your costume here you go <laughs> but now like next year she'll be close two and a half close to to coming up on three so like i think she'll have the idea that like oh i can dress up today and be something out like let me pick a thing and so it's really fun now to experience it as a parent so i'm kind of back on the halloween train which i had fallen off of for a while but yeah childhood nostalgia like i just look back very fondly on my childhood and now with a kid it's all the more present in my mind it makes fun like there's a whole trend of it's like boring but like the i think it's called like kidulting so it's like the adult <laughs> coloring books and like all of the things that like yes. we did as kids like that yeah. we try to bring back as adults 100 um, percent. so let's go back to college a little bit you said yeah. you're studying acting what 
like, what did you have for, like, what was your vision for that after college? Oh my God, that's so funny. So <laughs> my wife and I were talking about this recently. My wife is also an actor. And so, which is weird because I had never dated an actor because everybody was always like, don't date actors <laughs> until after, until her. Anyway, so my senior year, I, in my head, I was like, I'm going to be Jim Carrey. Like it's, so it's fine. Like this is what's going to happen. Senior year, I did not get cast in the first show of, uh, senior year of high school. I did not get cast in the fall play. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have, I'm signed on to go to college to be an actor. And I didn't even get cast in this high school show. Like I'm screwed. It was actually the best thing that ever happened because it showed me that like, oh yeah, you might've been getting the leads. That's not how it's always going to work. And you're about to be a very small fish in a very big pond when you go to school. So really it was a great learning experience, but leaving senior year of high school in my head, I was like, well, I'll probably go to college for like two years and then I'll move to LA or New York and I'll be an actor and I won't graduate. That's fine. You know? And my mom and dad were both like, well, why don't you go to like a state school where you have options and you have friends. And I was very interested in the college experience because my brother had gone to U of I and I'd heard stories from him. And I liked the idea of like having a quad and living in a dorm and like having that independence was really interesting to me. And I had always imagined school as being like basically out in a cornfield at a big college. Like that's what Illinois college in my head was. Uh, and so Illinois State kind of was that like it was legit like cornfield, cornfield, cornfield college, you know. And so freshman year, I got there and just like kind of fell in love with the idea of being in college. I was like, this is awesome. Like, all right, this is great. Like, I'm just going to ride this out all the way. And so the idea of leaving and moving to LA or New York went away like first semester of college. I was like, oh yeah, stay here and do this. Uh, I also recognized like, you're not a really good actor yet. Like you're not very good at this. <laughs> so figure this out. And so the program at Illinois State is really theater focused. So it was like theater acting. We did a little bit of TV and film for like a semester at the end. And that was kind of it. Um, but I was always interested in TV and film. Like that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be in movies, you know? And I had no no idea even at junior and senior year of college like no sense of what it would take to do that like oh yeah no there's a lot that has to there's a lot of work you have to put in there's a certain amount of luck that has to be present like you have to put yourself in a place where those opportunities can be presented to you like all of these things that now I look back on and I'm like oh wow like you had no idea conversely my wife went to DePaul in Chicago and we're four years apart so she's four years younger than me so we didn't know each other at all throughout like college etc but because she went to school in Chicago like in the city she was auditioning for Chicago plays and television shows throughout college something that I had like no sense of being at like a school in a cornfield like I had the shows that ISU was doing to audition right. for <laughs> that I was not getting cast in you know and so it was kind of like all right but I I really enjoyed the program I enjoyed all the friends I made both in the program and outside the program I loved being in college like I loved that so I'm so glad I had that experience but then I graduated and moved back home and moved back to Mount Prospect and I was back in my childhood bedroom and I was like well now you have to be an actor like what are you gonna do <laughs> and all of my friends not all but a lot had graduated with a degree that literally like says the job you apply for you know what I mean it was like English teacher I'm like great you type that into LinkedIn or like indeed.com or whatever and you look at the jobs and you apply like actor it you don't there's you know what I mean there's no just like oh yeah apply here and so I had to sort of figure all that out on my own and then I kind of realized like oh 
I'm not really good at this part of it. Like my wife is extremely good at the business side of being an actor. Like she's super dedicated to it. She does the networking. She meets the people. She knows who to talk to. She knows what to do, like blah, blah, blah. And I, at the time, I didn't have an agent or anything like that. I didn't know how to get one, you know? And so I was like, okay, great. I got to figure this all out. I'm like sitting in my childhood bedroom now i'm like 22 like all right i gotta figure this out like i know i don't want to live here forever but i'm also okay with the idea that i'm saving a bunch of money doing it so i had worked at the metropolis theater in arlington heights as a camp counselor for their school of the performing arts camp for little kids for my junior year and senior year of college like in the summer i had done that prior to that i was doing uh asphalt with the mount prospect public works in the summers and so after that sophomore summer like into junior year i was like i think next summer i need to get a job like like in acting because I don't have any connections, you know, and the Metropolis was there and I knew some folks who had worked there and I was like, oh, OK, cool. Like I'll get a job at the Metropolis and that way I'll get in with some folks there and I can audition and maybe get paid to be in a show. And um, so I did their school uh, of the performing arts camp with like a bunch of kids and then met a bunch of folks there, made some nice friends and some great relationships with folks there and then started auditioning there um, and ended up doing like the Diary of Anne Frank there. And I played um, Peter, the like Anne's potential boyfriend or whatever, you know, like that whole thing. So that was nice because I was like able to get paid to be an actor for a minute. And that was like, wow, OK, cool. Like you're doing the thing. That's great. And then in that mix, I got a job at, in that mix. I got a job at 101.9 The Mix in Chicago, the radio station, as a promotions assistant. A friend worked there and he was uh, like, hey, would you ever want to do this? Like, I'm like, yeah, I would love to work at a radio station because I had done a little bit of radio at Illinois State. Uh, they have a college radio station called WZND. And I had done about a semester of like over or what was it? It was like afternoons on Saturdays or whatever on the hip hop station. And my name was DJ Sparks because they were like, you have to have a DJ name. I was like, oh, OK. And I'm having lunch with my buddies. And I was literally like about to walk over there. I'm like, I'm about to do a radio show. I had no idea what I was doing. And they were like, yeah, you need a name. And so I'm having lunch with my buddies. I'm like, dude, I need a name. Like, what do I call myself? It's a hip hop station. Like, what do I say? And people always joked about my teeth because I have like pretty big teeth and they're pretty white. And so people are always talking about like my big white teeth and blah 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 and one guy would jokingly call me mr sparkles like just here or there and i was like what if we did like mr sparkles They're like you can't go on hip-hop radio <laughs> and be like hey what's up it's mr sparkles so we we like brainstormed and i walked in with dj sparks i was like hey i'm dj sparks they were like oh that's awesome done and so that was my name on radio in college so when my friend after school had been like, hey, man, would you want to work at a radio station in Chicago? I was like, yes, that would be amazing. Like in my mind, I was like, if I can get my foot in the door, maybe I can meet some people because, you know, I studied to be an actor. But ultimately, all I ever wanted to do was work in entertainment. Like that's what I wanted to do. And I wanted to entertain people. So I didn't always know what that meant. But I figured like if I can be in a situation where I'm entertaining people and I'm using that creative part of my brain, I'll be happy, you know. And so I got this part time job being a promotions assistant. And we'd literally be like at Verizon wireless handing out chapstick or like in front of jewel osco spinning a wheel to win nickelback tickets like just the randomest stuff you know and i started to really enjoy it and made a lot of great friends and and great connections at the radio station and then after a couple years this opportunity to uh, be a social media manager presented itself and i applied and they hired me so it worked out and i ended up like building a nice foundation to a career kind of just by coming in as a promotions assistant and being like, hey, I'm here and I want to learn whatever you'll teach me, you know. Uh, so it all started there, kind of. 
<laughs> the social media thing is interesting because um, for people that aren't in Chicago, you were definitely part of the morning show, right? Like, so yeah. it was like referred to as social media, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> so I never made the connection that like you were the same person as him. Yeah. Until like, I think it was like, cause I feel like for a while you went, you moved, right? Like back to LA. I did. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So it's so random. Like I get hired as a social media manager for, uh, at the time it was called Eric and Kathy. Now it's the Eric in the morning show. And so I did that for like five years and would randomly pop on air and be myself and just like, they'd be like, Hey, talk about what's trending on Twitter. And I'd pop in and blah, blah, blah. So Eric started calling me social media, Chris, and then it became like a moniker. And then people would see me at events and be like, Hey, social media, Chris. I'm like, okay, hi, how are you? What's up? You know, <laughs> at like state events it wasn't like i was getting like recognized at you know <laughs> like a jewel yeah no no that wasn't <laughs> happening no but yeah so i became like this social media chris dude and then yeah it became like this weird moniker but in 2016 my wife and i decided to move to la and so i resigned from the position and moved to la and so we did that for we were in la from 2016 to 2019 but the jams which you mentioned at the beginning that happened before we moved to la um right. while we were here so yeah where did you where was it in your in all of these series of events that you met jim um yeah here? okay great yeah <laughs> our stars somehow aligned uh so <laughs> around the point where i was offered the social media manager job i was still auditioning for acting stuff like i hadn't because i faded in and out of auditioning for stuff if like i always felt like if i was doing something at work that had me creatively fulfilled but then i didn't have the pressure for myself to like find that outlet mm -hmm. so um metropolis and arlington heights had their general auditions and they were auditioning for a Twilight parody. So I don't know if you remember Twilight, the like vampire movies. Oh, yeah. Okay, <laughs> so they were going to do an improv parody of Twilight. And they were casting for it. And so first what they do there is they would do, I think it's still the way they do it now, but they would do a general audition. So you'd come in and do like a comedic monologue and like a serious monologue and say thanks and leave. And then you might get a callback for whatever shows they thought you might be a fit for. So I get a callback for this Twilight parody. Now, at the time, just at random, People would say I looked like Taylor Lautner, like the guy who played the werewolf in Twilight. Like I had my hair. I was doing kind of the faux hawk thing at the time. And I guess, you know, if I was tan because of summer, I kind of resembled him, I guess. <laughs> and so I walk into this audition and there's this other dude sitting there who ends up being Jim Kazira, who is now one of my best friends and my like comedic writing partner and all these things. But we're sitting there and uh, the director, Scott Waldman, who's a wonderful writer, he was like, uh, all right, you two, Jim, uh, you're Edward, Chris, you're Jacob, go. And so we get on stage and it's an improv audition. So he basically gives us a premise and he's like, and go. And I don't remember what the premise was, but I just remember Jim and I just started and it felt like a minute had gone by and i think he let us go on for like 15 minutes which is completely unnecessary uh <laughs> but we were just like listening and responding and reacting and it was like simpatico like somehow he and i just in that moment it was like oh my god are we in love it was like stepbrothers when they're like did we just become best friends like that moment happened and the only person in the audience is the director so it's like Jim and I on stage, a director sitting like uh, like 100 feet in the middle of the uh, theater, and we're just going. And I, you just hear the director like chuckling and laughing or whatever. So we felt like we were doing well, but at the same time, we were just sort of like zeroed in on each other. And so then, you know, he's he finally stops us and he was like, 
That was delightful. I just was so enamored by this. I just, you guys, that was delightful. Thank you guys. So he and I walk out together. We've never met until this moment. And I was like, <laughs> I felt like that went really well. He's like, yeah, I think it did. So we're sitting there and then they come out and they say, thanks so much. And everybody can go. And there was probably like 20 of us there for various roles. And the next day I get a call like, hey, we're going to cast you as Jacob in this Twilight parody. And I was like, who's Edward? And they were like, uh, Jim Kazira. I was like, is that the guy I read with? They were like, yeah. I'm like, great. Awesome. I will see you Monday. Fantastic. <laughs> and so after the fact, he and I would always joke about it because he was like, from his perspective, he's like, I'm sitting in the lobby and there's a dude sitting there that looks like the Jacob guy. And I was like, well, he's going to get that role, you know, <laughs> and just we instantly just like clicked and became really great friends and would just make each other laugh all the time, which was the best part. Um, but then also kind of like Jordan, I hesitate to liken us to Michael Jordan and Scottie <laughs> Pippen in any way, but they made each other better in that way. And so he and I had that ability, I think, really quickly without even thinking about it. Like we just supported one another, especially in an improv when often in, in bad improv, in my experience, you have people who are trying really hard to be funny and they're not listening to the other person. And I've often found the success in improv is just in honesty. It's like you're listening and you're being honest. And really, the audience is there to watch someone walk on a tightrope. And if you can walk on a tightrope, they're going to laugh because there's just an excitement in it, you know. Um, and so he and I just sort of clicked in that way throughout. And, you know, every once in a while, we'd fall into our bits like we would just do like bit, 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 you know. But then we wrapped up Twilight and it was done after like, you know, eight weeks or whatever it was. And we were hanging out and we were like, damn, we should do something else. Like that was really fun. But like, you know, unless we do something ourselves, it's rare we're going to get cast in the same thing again, you know? So like, what do we want to do? And at the time it was like, well, like, it's not like we could just go to IO and be like, hey, the two of us are doing a show. Now. You know what I mean? Like that wasn't we weren't anywhere near like I don't know if you know of TJ and Dave, but like uh, an a two hand improv show that was on for like I, I want to say like over 10 years or whatever. But um, they've since stopped doing it. But they were a weekly show of just two dudes. And we looked up to them so much because we were like, they're so great. They just walk on stage with nothing and do an hour long show that is the best improv you have ever seen in your life. Like that's insane. And so we were like, well, what should we do? <laughs> you know, and we would hang at Chipotle all the time and talk about whatever we were doing so at the time Jim was substitute teaching and auditioning and I was working as social media Chris you know so you know we would sit there and at the time we were like well, let's do a web series and we're like all right well we have no money and we have a camera so that's great like what do we have access to because we were seeing so many web series of actor friends that was just like we're broke actors and we live in an apartment and this is the web series you know uh, and we were like all right well we don't want to do that because we see that like well what else could we do and we saw, like we stepped back and we looked at it and I was like, well, my dad's a dentist, so we could film in a dental office. So there's that. Jim's substitute teaching and he was like, I'm really tight with the people that run the school. So like we could shoot in the school on like Saturdays and Sundays when no one's there. We're like, okay, that's cool. I was like, we could probably film at a radio station and that would be cool because most folks don't just have access to a radio station. So we were like, all right, let's try that one. Let's, let's do a web series at a radio station. We we're like, all right, cool, let's do it. And so we decided that it would just be the two of us and because that was easy and that was manageable. And that was like, you know, something we felt confident that we could accomplish. So let's put these two guys in an overnight radio studio and we'll say they're on at night and this is their crappy radio show. And they, we internally, the two of us would talk a lot about like we... And this sounds somewhat like pretentious or like conceited or something, but like we felt really confident. We were like, we're pretty funny, like, right? Yeah. And OK, but we just need to create an opportunity for ourselves to just be funny. So let's do this web series and whatever. If no one gives a crap about it, like we did it and that's what we wanted to do. So let's do it. So we did like 18 or 19, like three to five minute episodes of this web series that Jim would basically write 
like an outline or a loose script. And then we would sit down and read through it and like goof around and plus it up and like improv. And then we started, we would, the radio station, the mix, let us come in on like Saturday and Sunday nights when no one was here. And we used an off-air production room that no one was in. And we would just set up lights and like record. And we did three to five episodes a t- uh, like at a, at a, in a session, I guess it would be like, we'd have our two buddies come in. One would run sound, one would hold the camera and we would go. And so it became this like really fun outlet for us. We were like doing this web series and we put it on YouTube and no one cared. Like it got like <laughs> 200 views an episode. And we were like, all right, well, whatever, but okay. And so then we kind of fast forward to like 2014, we'd been doing this web series for a while. I had met my girlfriend who became my fiance and we were getting married and Jim was in the wedding. He was one of my groomsmen and, you know, we have the wedding or whatever. It's all done. The web series has come out and we haven't really been producing any more of them. It's been a handful of months since. And Jim calls me before my wife and I are going to our honeymoon. And he was like, hey, I know you're about to leave for the airport, but I found this really cool television festival in New York called the New York Television Festival. And I want to submit the jams. And I was like, dude, I'm in. Do it. What do you need from me? He was like, I need 11 because it's like $22 (laughs) to submit. I'm like, no sweat. I'll give it to you when I get back. Let's do it. So what we did was they were having a pilot competition and they were like, you can submit anything. You could submit a treatment for what your pilot's going to be. You could submit a fully produced pilot episode. You could submit four minutes of like what the opening scene's going to look like, like whatever you have submitted. So we took, I think it was five episodes and we just strung them together back to back and we submitted it. And we were like, this is our pilot for the jams. And it would be a workplace sitcom about working in a radio station with these two dudes. JJ, which was my character, and Fitzy, which was Jim's. And the premise was like, JJ was actually pretty good at radio and really wanted to do it. It was his lifetime goal. And Fitzy was his idiot buddy who was along for the ride, but was a great like sparring partner. So great. Uh, So we submitted to the NYTVF and uh, my wife and I go on our honeymoon and we kind of forget about it. And then like, a month later, Jim's like, dude, we got in. I'm like, what? To what? He's like, to the NYTVF, we're in. I'm like, that's crazy. And so the NYTVF, I think at that time was in like the beginning of October. And the weekend it was, I couldn't go. Like, I was like, dude, I can't go with you because of work. Like, I can't go. And he was like, all right, well, I'll go alone because there were meetings and opportunities. And so a part of this pilot competition was there was this distribution company called The Orchard, which I believe has since turned into something, I think it's called 1091 Pictures. But anyway, it was called The Orchard at the time. And they were going to put up money to produce a pilot. And the NYTVF was going to partner with them. And someone was going to win the opportunity to produce a pilot on a development deal with The Orchard and the NYTVF. So Jim was like, I mean, I'm going to go and I'll pitch. But there's other stuff there too. Like, should we pitch other stuff? So we come up with like four other TV shows, one of which is called game day and it's going to be jim and chris just as ourselves show you how to experience the best day at stadiums around the country like we were thinking of it as like a food network slash travel channel slash hgtv style thing where it's like two dudes that show you like oh if you're going to go to soldier field before the game go to this bar and then get a burger at this restaurant and then go to the game. And then after the game, go to this place for your post-game party or whatever. So we submit all this stuff. And Jim takes all these meetings alone. And I have no idea what he's saying in these meetings. <laughs> like, he's just there, but have full confidence in him. And he's just basically in these meetings going, yeah, sure. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. We can do that. No sweat. And just like agreeing with people being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, pr- no problem. We can do that. So he takes the meeting with the orchard and they're asking him about the jams and they're like, well, could you add other characters? He's like, yeah, for sure. We'd add other characters. All right. Well, wh- like, what would the premise be? Like, would it be like these two guys are trying to get the morning show? And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah totally. 
Yeah, that's what it would be. Definitely. And so there's like the end of the festival, there's this like awards night. So he calls me and he's like, hey, the awards night's tonight. If anything happens, I'll let you know. I was like, all right, cool. Well, good luck. I hope it goes well. It sounds like everything's going well. And we'd been texting and talking like throughout the whole festival. I just wasn't there. And so like after every meeting, he'd be like, nope, not that one. <laughs> you know, like whatever. <laughs> so he calls me. Like an hour later, he's like, dude, we got the Travel Channel thing. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, the game day one. We're going to do this stadium thing. I'm like, that's crazy. Do they know we don't know what to do? He's like, I told him we don't know what to do, but we got it. I'm like, oh, that's nuts. <laughs> like 25 minutes goes by and he calls me again. And now he's like blown away. He's like, dude, uh, we got the pilot thing. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, the thing with the orchard for the jams. Like, like we won. I was like, wait, hang on. The orchard one, the like the development deal. He's like, yeah, we got that one. I'm like, dude, that's the big one. He's like, what? I'm like, no, 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 that's the like development deal one. Like they're going to produce a pilot of the jams. And he was like, holy shit, we got the big one. Like we didn't even in the moment know, you know. And so we're overjoyed about this thing. I'm not there. About half hour after that, he calls me from the after party and he's with the orchard guys and the people from the NYTVF and they're all together and I'm on speakerphone and all I just hear is like, ah, oh my God, my God. I'm like, dude, what's going on? He's like, oh, the people from the MITVF are here and the Orchard are here. And they're like, hey, we're really excited to work with you guys. This is going to be awesome. We're so excited. So I hang up the phone and I'm like, oh, my God, like we're celebrities. Like it's done. Like this is amazing. Like we're on NBC. We're going to be on Fox. We're, this, is, this is all happening. Like we're the next The Office. We're the next new girl. Like it's all happening. Oh, my gosh. You know? And so then like two weeks after that or a week after that, we have a phone call with them. That was like very sobering because the call was literally like, okay, um, we think we can produce six episodes of the jams uh, and it's going to cost, you know, this many hundreds of thousands of dollars that our company is going to put up and you guys got to write these episodes. So can we see a first draft in a week? And we were both like, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. And we hang up and we were like, fuck. And then the next day we get a call from Travel Channel and they're like, hey, guys, so um, can you and your production team put together a production schedule to produce uh, four episodes of this game day series? And we were like, yeah, totally. <laughs> so we hang up and now we're like, well, OK, we're effed. Like we are totally fucked because we can write the jams. We're not worried about that. Like we're we're worried that we have to do it. And then we're we feel the pressure that it has to be good. But we were like, we don't know how to produce a travel channel show like we have our friends Clancy and Dan. Like that's who we have. We don't have access to like Soldier Field or the United Center or like the Bulls. Like, no. So we call them back and we were like, OK, so we just want to be clear, like we don't have access to these places. We were thinking that because your travel channel, you would give us like help us get access to them. So we decide like, okay, let's figure out this travel channel thing and get this wrapped so that we can put our full focus on the jams. Cause like, that's the dream. And this travel channel thing was like a crazy, awesome, like free dessert that we got that we never expected, but it's not, Oh, it, like, it's so weird. It was like such a champagne problem. Cause we were like, Holy shit. We walked out of here with like two shows or like two web series show, like things like, Oh my God, this is insane. And so we go to soldier field during a Bears game and attempt to film It's Game Day with Jim and Chris. <laughs> and we're like in the wet, like the South lot over there, like trying to get into tailgates and talking to people and like taking tours of tailgate buses. And like, this is crazy. Like, this is what it's all about at Bears games. And like, I grew up going to Bears games and Jim did too. So like, we know the vibe and we know obviously we're Bears fans and whatever. But like, it's our friend Clancy following us with like a boom mic that's not really a boom mic. You know what I mean? Like, we weren't prepared for this and we had gotten a budget. But like we didn't have hard cash. We were like, this is your budget. And then like submit your receipts and we will, 
verify it, but we also want to make sure that the quality you're giving us is what we want to pay for. So we were like, oh God, oh no. So we go, we shoot like a whole day with our buddies and start chopping together and edit. And we're like, all right, we got to submit this to Travel Channel. Fuck. All right, here we go. So we send them like a WeTransfer of like the rough edit. And we get an email back almost like almost instantly. And they were like, hi, guys, we need to talk. And we were like, fuck. Okay, great. Let's talk. <laughs> and we both were just like, we're going to lose this opportunity. Like they're going to tell us, forget about it. And we were like, and plus and minus, like that blows. But also then we can like fully focus on the jams and not think about this. Okay, great. So they call us and they're basically like, we like you two on camera. We do not like anything you've produced here. This is not <laughs> of the level that we were expecting. And we we basically came back to them. We were like, well, we've been very clear at the jump that like we're just the writers, creators, like hosts of this thing. And we have a very minimal production team and access to one. And they were like, great. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you a producer and that producer is going to come to town and he's going to figure this all out. So what we need from you are four outlines for the four episodes and they all need to happen in Chicago. And we were like, great, we can do that. So we ended up doing an episode on the United Center for a Blackhawks game, Soldier Field for a Bears game, Allstate Arena for a WWE event. Awesome. Uh, and then we did a United Center Bulls game, I believe, was the other one. Um, and so we just featured like different stuff in town. And this producer came to town and in two days, a proper cinematographer and a proper sound designer came in and they created this series and they even like edited it and everything. And we just shot it. And then it came out on Travel Channel's website as like a custom series. And we were like so excited and blown away and it looked amazing. And it was really fun to do it. And then we were like, wow, we might get this as like a show. Like, this is great. Like Travel Channel might buy this. Maybe this is the thing we do. <laughs> But let's put this out of our mind and focus on the jams. And then nothing really ever came of the Travel Channel thing, except for the amazement that that ever happened at all. Like, that's insane. Yeah. You know, like we were blown away and it was super fun. And we have the episodes and I think we'll probably put them up on YouTube one day to just be like, hey, remember we did this thing? And so then our full focus went to the jams. And originally we were going to do six episodes and we started writing and outlining six episodes. And through the process of writing and starting to plan production, of which we were going to do in Chicago, and the Orchard and the NYTVF people were like amazing through this process with us so they totally understood that like they really gave us the benefit of saying to us like hey we think you guys are good like we think you could do this we just know you need a lot of help so we're going to give it to you in terms of like trying to produce or create this thing and they were wonderful and we ended up because of budget and shooting in Chicago we ended up cutting it from six episodes to four so we wrote all four we wrote the pilot together I wrote the second episode we brought in a team of writers from Chicago that wrote the sec uh, the third episode and then Jim wrote the finale Alley. And that was crazy for us. Like we joined the Writers Guild uh, because of this show, you know, like Jim was already in SAG as an actor because he had done a lot of TV work in Chicago, like Chicago PD and stuff like that and commercial work and stuff like that. And I had not. So they were like, you don't have to join SAG, but you do have to join the WGA. I was like, this is crazy. We're like in the guild as yeah. writers, like, <laughs> holy crap, you know. So we were basically on cloud nine for like a year. Like we just could not believe that we were getting to do this. Don't you love getting a piece of mail? I'm not talking about junk mail or the electric bill. I mean actual mail, personally addressed to you. It's because when you get it, you know that someone took the time out of their life to think of you, write a handwritten personal message, and then mail it out. Now, imagine delivering that feeling to someone else. Well, you can with greeting cards from Colette Papery. Colette features eco-friendly, hand-designed cards with witty sayings in fun, vibrant colors for every occasion. I've been sending Colette cards to friends and family for years for everything from graduation 
celebrations to weddings to birthdays and just because. It's also the perfect place to pick up something like a notepad, a sticker, or a keychain as a gift or to keep for yourself. And through an exclusive offer, Fast Friends listeners can save 20% off their first order of $20 or more by using the promo code FASTFRIENDS20 at ColettePapery.com. That's FASTFRIENDS20 at ColettePapery.com. Send your friends irresistible snail mail from Colette Papery. So with the jams, they were giving us originally the development deal came from the New York Television Festival, The Orchard. Um, and this was after Jim called and was like, I think we got the thing. And we we're like, that's the big one. Oh, my God. So now we're like super freaked out. But anyway, so they came to us and said, hey, we're going to do six episodes. We want to shoot in Chicago. But then as the rubber started to hit the road and we started actually like writing these episodes and marking out what everything was going to look at. And like we created an outline of the six episodes, like we're going to take these characters from here to there and these from there to here and blah, blah, blah. We all sort of started to realize that like maybe the budget for six episodes uh, six episodes like is that enough so ultimately the decision was made like let's cut it back to four episodes which for jim and i was like bittersweet because obviously we wanted to do as much as we possibly could and six sort of felt like what a normal pilot season would be but then ultimately doing the four became wonderful because like we got the budget that we wanted and we kind of were able to like we didn't really have to restrain ourselves too much in the writing process which was great but what we did have to do was like we had this arc for six that we'd outlined and we had to like smash it down to four but it was awesome so we did that and then we got to do casting and it was kind of funny because at every step of the process the nytvf and the orchard were awesome because they jim and i were also executive producers on the series so we we were able to be a part of every Everything. step you know That's yeah awesome. so like we were in auditions and we were reading with people and that was super exciting and then we got to cast it and we got to have a say in who was cast and how we casted it so that was exciting and the two big gets for the series besides jim and i here right uh, uh were yeah, uh, obviously yeah, obviously. The NYTVS, they went out, the NYTVF, sorry, they went out to Kathy Najimy mm-hmm. uh, to play our boss. And people know Kathy Najimy from like Hocus Pocus and Sister Act. And she's been on Veep and like she's kind of been in TV and film all around for like 25, 30 years. So they called us one day and they were like, hey, how do you guys feel about Kathy Najimy? And I'll be completely honest. And if Kathy ever hears this, which I don't know if she remembers my name, but I Googled her really quick and I was like, oh yeah, I know her. And I like showed her face to Jim and he was like, that's great. This is great. You know? So that was going to be one of my questions is like yeah. when, you're, when you're writing these roles, because it's obviously everything is your brainchild. Like you don't write with somebody necessarily in mind. Like as we she's, did, like I think with her, especially like, and I, I don't know her entire body of work, but I wanted yeah. to ask actually how it was working with her uh, because like I grew up sure. watching Hocus Pocus and Sister Act yeah. and all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like it seemed like it was a it was a fun role, I bet, for her to play because it was different than what people get to see her do a lot, I feel like. 100%. I think it was for her. Um, to answer the first question of like, did we write with someone in mind, the role of Stanton who was played by Michael Patrick Thornton, we wrote with MPT, as we call him, in mind, because Jim and him are friends. And through Jim, I became friends with Michael. So like Michael Patrick Thornton was always in our heads for Stanton. So that was awesome. For Dan, you know, when we got through the writing process and started talking to the NYTVF and Orchard about casting, they did ask us like, hey, we need to sort of type out if you guys could dream cast this, who would it be? And I was really pushing to try to get Elizabeth Banks to play Dan, our boss, because I thought that'd be really, really fun. And then they called us and they were like, hey guys, we can get 
like for sure Kathy Najimi is interested. What do you guys think? And then we got super excited about her, obviously because it was a different, it was a bit of a different spin in our minds because we were like, oh, okay, wait, that's a little bit more of like, I, I don't know. It felt a little more like a matriarchal character to have her come in mm-hmm. than like Elizabeth Banks was a little like closer to our ages and we sort of felt like, oh, she's a little more like a little more young upstart who became our boss. Whereas Kathy brought this really unique like um, experience and maturity to the role which was wonderful to have so it was really fun shooting with her i mean the second they said hey what do you guys think we were like yeah let's this is great let's do it so the first time we met face to face was at io in chicago we were there for costume fittings and they were like hey kathy just got to town and she wants to meet you guys and talk through the script and we were like okay Uh, cool cool." (laughs) so we all sat in the mission theater there with kathy and we went through the scripts and like talked about her thoughts on the roles and she had thoughts on like lines or stories setups or like oh i think i should do this or maybe my character it feels more like you want her to do x y so it was amazing to have her come in with like the actual grounded experience that she has also she's a very accomplished improv actor so like that was super fun for us after they got kathy to play dan the next big get was uh david pasquese to play casey and that was another phone call where they were like hey do you guys know david pasquese and we were like fuck yes we know who david is like oh my god so if you don't know david he's one of the most talented improvisers on the planet literally he used to do a two-hander show at io with tj lewandowski called tj and dave and tj people know from the sonic commercials like the sonic hamburger joint commercials there's like two guys sitting in a car and the really goofy (laughs) off beat one is tj so anyway they tell us about dave and dave seemed unattainable to us like We really wanted the show to have a Chicago backbone. And so we were thinking a lot about people who have either come through Chicago or have some root in Chicago. And so when they said Dave, we were like, are you guys serious? Like we could get him to do this? Because at the time he was on Veep playing Julia Louis-Dreyfus's ex-husband. And we were like, there's no way that Dave Pasquese does this. Like, are you serious? (laughs) And then they literally called us back the next day and they were like, hey, Dave read the script and he likes it. He's in. And we were like, he read our script. Oh, my God. Like, you didn't tell us you were going to give it to him. Oh, no. Oh, no. But he loved he liked it. I don't know. Love. I'm going to say he loved it. So that was the next thing. Like, we met with Kathy and then Dave walked in and we were both kind of like Kathy Najimi. Amazing. Wonderful. Pretty much the whole cast, because we were all Chicago actors, everybody was way over the moon about Dave being involved, like every single person, because he's legendary in Chicago. Um, Stephen Colbert has this amazing quote about TJ and Dave. He says, one of these guys is the best improviser on the planet and the other one's better. And so it's like, that's this idea of Dave coming in. And then it hit me like I knew Dave and I had not admittedly seen a ton of his work, but I knew him as this like Chicago legend. And so it hit me very quickly that we'd written a lot of scenes where my character JJ is spending time trying to butter up Casey, Dave's character. And so then like as we got into production, it hit me like, oh crap, you have to do like two hand scenes with Dave Pasquese. Like, oh shit, are you going to be able to do this? And then Jim was just sort of like, dude, you got to 
just forget it. Like, just forget it. It's just Dave. Like, it's all good, you know? And that was super helpful because I was like, yeah, you're right. All right, I just gotta, okay, whatever. And so that was how kind of that piece of casting. And then we we did auditions on all the other roles. And uh, MPT was an offer too, Michael Patrick Thornton. We were like, hey, would you do this? And, uh, you know, he read the scripts and he knew Jim. And obviously they were like, yeah, that one, he's in, we're good. But yeah, man, then we got to cast like Tambor LaPerry played Gina and she's crazy talented. And Emily Peterson was our Chrissy. And Emily is one of my my like dearest friends now and she's amazing vincent tenity played our uh our wyatt which was hilarious and he brought like a totally different spin to that character that i think we thought would come off the page which was crazy um and then ramel chan played our intern and jim and i and ramel became like really close friends because of it so like honestly like it was amazing to do that series and it was so fun and we had such a blast doing it but ultimately like the best part about it is just the we've all become such good friends now because we did this weird thing together (laughs) that we jammed we shot four episodes at about two and a half weeks um overnight so like it's so strange the only stuff we didn't shoot overnight were the scenes where we were on air overnight because (laughs) we shot the the mix in chicago let us use their studios for the radio stuff and then the office stuff we shot at an office in west town so like we were in different buildings but when we did the overnight stuff with jj and fitzy in the studio we had to shoot it during the weekend at the radio station when no one was there so we were using an off-air production studio the st- the mix the drive no it was the mix and 100.3 at the time we're in the same building so there's like this studio for 100.3 that's live on the air in the middle there's an empty production studio and then there's a mix studio live on the air so we were literally in between two actually broadcasting radio stations while filming our show which was hilarious yeah a little radio sandwich yeah it was yeah <laughs> So, and, and again, if people haven't watched it, um, we'll get to in just a, in a minute, we'll talk about like where they can catch it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Cause I, I did, like I said, I watched it the first run and I rewatched it when we were going to be talking. No, I oh, loved thanks, it, dude. I dude. thought it was great. Oh, um, thank you. I think it was important because if people haven't spent a lot of time in Chicago, it's like, it truly is like the smallest big city. Yeah. So like, I think like everything has that feel to it. And so oh, dude, as somebody who listened to the, cause I listened to the mix for years. Yeah. Right. Um, and, <laughs> and so it like, it, it felt very authentic to like what a morning radio show in Chicago and like what, are, what you would imagine. I mean, it, like you said, most people don't have any idea what's going on behind the scenes, but what you picture in your head happening, like it, it felt very authentic to Chicago. So I think you did a great job with casting and bringing that through. Thank you so much. I wanted to ask about the dialogue because so I've done writing in the past. Um, I still do writing like as a hobby. I think dialogue is one of the hardest things to to nail and and keep authentic. When I was watching this, it sort of reminded me of like a Gilmore Girls. Um, As far as like the fat, you know, like the quickness and quick witted. Yeah. (laughs) Like it was very like you could tell the uh, the improv chops that were being brought, even if they were like rehearsed lines. So I wanted to talk a little about like and understand the the process behind like creating that dialogue that came across very authentic and and very fast. So. Thank you. That's all the very nice things of you to say. So thank you. Um, Jim always jokes. He was like, we probably had more words per page than an Aaron Sorkin West Wing script would because (laughs) it was written fast. Like these dudes move fast. They think fast like it's just fast. And the truth is that that's just sort of how Jim and I talk to each other. Like that's what we do. We just and we go. Um, And so what we would do is we would sort of sketch out the scene. We'd be like, okay, for example, there's a scene where JJ and Fitz, especially the JJ and Fitzy on air scenes, because that's really basically it's like taking Jim and Chris and like 
ratcheting down Jim's intelligence and like ratcheting up Chris's eagerness to like get Jim to come on board with this idea. And like we just sort of like turn the knobs on ourselves a little bit. Jim always says this thing and it's totally true. And you should talk to Jim on this podcast, by the way. Uh, I'll give you his email. But anyway, he always says this thing that's like the really backbone of JJ and Fitzy are they're these two dudes who are just trying to show people that like they can do this thing, but someone's got to give them a chance. Like just give them a chance, but these guys can do this thing. And that was what we thought about each other in terms of what the jams became. So like we had this weird through line in real life where we were like, we feel really confident, like not cocky, but confident that we can do this. Please, someone give us a chance. Um, And that became the jams. And so then throughout this whole process, we really resonated with the two characters because we were like, this is us doing the thing we said we were confident we could do. And somebody's letting us do it. And this is crazy. So when it came to the writing thing, we were literally like, "Okay, let's not break what we're doing and so what we would do is jim would sketch out or we would sketch out together the idea of where the scene needed to go so like there's a scene where they're in the studio overnight and jj goes off on this tangent where he just keeps stepping on himself like he just keeps fucking up and he's like talking about whether or not santa claus is alive and if there's a kid listening wait santa's real don't worry santa's real i swear and if he's not real and maybe he died and he went to heaven but you might not believe in heaven because if you don't believe in heaven maybe it's not it's not your fault and that just came out of him and i being like okay jj really needs to step in it so like let's riff and he and i would improv together and just talk to each other and then we would like quickly write it down or sometimes we'd record a conversation and we'd go back to it and be like oh that's good that's good that's good but what we wanted was the like repartee between jj and fitzy like there's no room for air because the two of them are always a step ahead of the other so it's like jj knows where fitzy's gonna go fitzy knows where jj's gonna go and they just like ride this wave together and that's sort of how jim and i talk to each other it's actually really funny like if we don't see each other for a while which because of the pandemic, we really haven't. And now we both have kids and it's like this whole other world. But like when we do get together, it's sort of like pushing a boulder up a hill. Like it's like, oh, 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 okay, here we go. And then it like yeah, gets yeah. down the hill. <laughs> but at the time we were working together so closely so often, like if I wasn't at work, I was with Jim or on the phone with Jim. Uh, and then sometimes it'd be like us and our wives and we would be like talking about shit and they'd be like, can we just go to do whatever? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so that was a part of it. We also felt like, so we had that repartee between those two dudes that we knew we wanted to be fast i also just naturally talk kind of fast and when i was in acting school they were always like can you slow down i'm like i don't know anyway but then with the other characters we were like all right we have so much that we want to try to communicate and we want it to feel like you can't like we want it to feel like real life and we want it to feel busy because like they're working in a busy radio station and in radio like the morning show when they're leaving there might be a song playing and the midday host needs to like get in get set be ready because when the song runs out they're probably going to have to be on air so there's like these they're not ships passing in the night they're they're passing very quickly in bright light and so we had all these moments where it's like Chrissy's coming out of the studio and JJ's trying to catch Casey before Casey goes down the hall and leaves. So it's like everything had to feel quick because these characters only interacted with one another in like four to five minute increments in real life. You know what I mean? Like if the afternoon guys are coming in, well, then Gina, the midday host, or the, she's the afternoon host. Sorry, she's going to be coming out. Well, Wyatt, the evening guy's coming in. And so then we were like, well, what's weird is if JJ and Fitzy are on from midnight to 530, they're not going to see anybody. So we made the decision that these dudes would hover like they'd come in early 
and stay late so that they could see the people. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. But because everybody moved so quickly in the premise of what our workflow was in this office, we knew everything had to be quick. Because really, if, and if you watch, there's a lot of movement. Like Walk and Talk's obviously an Aaron Sorkin thing. I'm a big Aaron Sorkin fan, and I love his writing, uh, and I love West Wing to death, and I really love Studio 60, which only did a season. But the Walk and Talk thing is his bread and butter. That's the like, well, you're going to see these people talk while they go from one space to the other because that's real life and that's it's what happens life. in an office yep. and so we really tried our best to capture that so i'm really glad to hear you say that you felt it was fast uh we always were like is it fast and distracting because we don't want it to be fast and distracting we need it to be fast because that's the pace of this show as that's how these people are interacting so yeah it's cool to hear you say that because that was like i guess it was sort of a subconscious thing i think it's also just the way jim and i write together we just are like we would look at a generally when you write a script it's like a page a minute so if you have a 30 page script you've got a 30 minute show and some of our scripts would be like 32 33 pages but the episodes are like 28 minutes like <laughs> because we're like you know it's like a the micro machines guy the commercials yes. from like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Like no, way back I, when. I, it didn't feel like that you know what i mean like it felt yeah. natural and authentic but i think it too it's like it's something that you have to pay attention to when it's on right like you can't have it on in the background. Right. Well, and that's kind of a thing we wanted. We were like, we want active viewing. We also want it to be a thing where like you could watch it four times and each time discover something new or hear another joke or catch that weird thing happening in the background. Like there's an episode where we're all making intern do shit for us and like, there's and he's just walking around in the background doing all the shit we've requested and it's not until the end that we reveal what we asked him to do so if you watch that episode you see Ramel like holding a apple watch and like pumping it in the background to get steps in for Jim and he's like carrying a ukulele for me for some dump like just all this stuff and Ramel it's like Ramel became on 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 paper intern it's like as written the intern character it's like completely up to the performance like when we wrote the character we're like he barely speaks because that's like our joke about that's like our premise of intern it's like he kind of gets crapped on he barely speaks if at all you know as we were talking about this character and we were like yeah but he is such a pivotal part of the show because he's sort of this connective tissue who kind of goes through everybody in these weird ways and so the way they had us we did this audition we had gotten down to like the final like two or three folks for intern and the co-producers with the nytvf were like hey guys so here's what they had the interns waiting in the hallway they were like here's what we're gonna do we want to do a scene for this in this audition where jj and fitzy are in the elevator with intern so we're gonna put intern in front of you guys you stand behind intern and just make fun of him and let's see who reacts because it all had to be like in the silence it had to just you had to see it in the intern's eyes or whatever and so when ramel came came in and they put him in front of us and Jim and I just started going to town on this dude like <laughs> making fun of Ramel but at the time it's weird because like I don't know Ramel yet I know that this like he has a great resume he looks extremely talented he read really well for the scene we, we had to do a fake scene for intern because like he doesn't speak so we had to do something for but they were like we need to see a person silently react to stuff and so Ramel just crushed it like he just the whole time like because Jim and I are standing behind him so we do the whole audition he leaves the room and then we watch it back so we're watching it and the whole time he's just like silently absorbing all and like his whole body is like taking it in and th in that moment we were like it's Ramel like we're done it has to be Ramel um, and he's still one of the most talented people I felt like honestly and I, I I know Jim will say this too but like I felt like every single person in the cast was like the most talented person for that role like bar, like in the city because we saw all everybody like we saw every every comedic actor in Chicago and some of the dramatic ones like we saw them you know and then we had other smaller roles where we were able to bring people back for those 
those roles later, like, which was super fun. But yeah, like just those moments. And my wife, actually, my wife is Amy Rapp. She's a Chicago actor. Well, she's an actor as well. But anyway, she um, plays my fiance, Julie, in the show, but she had to audition for it. Like we had, which was weird. Like I had to go home <laughs> to my wife and I was like, look, obviously we wrote this role with you in mind when we wrote it, but they're making everybody audition. It's like, you have to audition. And so we, I didn't tell anybody that she was my wife. Like the EPs didn't know. And then um, we did the scene and everything like that. And she left and da, da, da. And our director, Ted Tremper, who has gone on to like amazing things. Ted was a producer for The Daily Show. Ted just worked on the new Borat film. Like Ted is doing big things. He's hyper talented. Um, she left the room and he was like, yeah, I think that's our Julie. And I was like, okay, great. And our our EP from the NYTVF was like, Chris, do you want to tell Ted? I was like, oh, um, Ted, just so you know, she's my wife. And he was like, <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. And I don't care. She's the person for the role. You know, so it was great. Made it easier to go home, I'm sure, that night. Oh, dude, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So, yeah, I, it's a great show. I think everybody should check it out. It's four episodes. Um, they go fast, not in a bad way. But absolutely, I, I would encourage people to watch it. I think so. For It's kind of bounced around on streaming services. I think right now it's on Amazon Prime. Is there anywhere else that I'm missing it? That's where I watched it most recently. So it's on Apple TV Plus as well. So it was originally, the way our release worked, it was originally released on Apple. And then two weeks later, it came out on Netflix. And we had a two-year deal with Netflix. So it came off Netflix after the two years. But you can still get it on amazon prime you can get it on youtube red you can get it on apple tv plus so like there's no shortage of places to find it and it's super exciting for us there's still random days where like i get a tweet from someone who's seen it and it's like i just watched the jams this show's amazing are there more and you know that sort of stuff so it's super exciting yeah what like what is there anything more coming from this or is it like do you look at it as it was a great experience the chapter it's you know the chapter's closed now like are you guys working on other stuff what's next for you guys yeah we're working on other stuff well really jim and ramel are working on a script right now and i'm like coming in jim always jokes because we're superhero nerds we like liken everything to superhero so he's very much our like tony stark like the brain like jim literally is a joke mathematician and a script mathematician and he is like this plus this equals that and we need blah 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 blah. and then he jokes that i'm the hulk because like he'll sketch something out and hand it to me and he'll be like what do you think and i'll be like you know like whatever um so anyway he and ramel are working on a new thing and i'm coming in with ideas as well that hopefully the three of us will do at some point but in terms of the jams yeah i mean it was amazing we're so 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 like beyond like over the moon that it ever happened at all and who knows one day i mean honestly like we still talk to everybody in the cast all the time we all have this like unique bond because like we did this crazy weird thing and so we're all talking all the time so i think maybe one day we would do something for the 10 people who really really want it i guess i don't know and it would ultimately be for us i hope but yeah as of now there are no plans for any future anythings but we talk about it probably every couple months like hey i'll just send jim an idea like we had so many ideas for sure for episodes for season two because we sketched out season two and three and we had a lot of ideas for episodes that never happened that we were like dreaming about doing because we had character combinations that never really got to happen like jj and chrissy played by emily peterson like we really didn't have a lot of moments together because we were setting up this love story between JJ and I'm sorry, between Chrissy and Fitzy. And JJ was so busy trying to get Casey to fall in love with him that we never had moments for me and Emily, except for just a couple little ones. But every time she and I would do something together, I'd leave set and go to gym. And I was like, she and I need to do more. Like we need to figure out ways to get JJ and Chrissy together um, and then also Fitzy and Casey because Jim and Dave are like lightning bolts together 
off camera, but we didn't have a ton of moments of them on camera. So maybe one day we'll get to do that stuff. And we still have the original 19 short form episodes. When we launched the series because of our licensing agreement, we had to take them off YouTube. But Jim and I have everything on like two hard drives. Like we have everything. (laughs) We have all of the footage from everything we shot. Like we have everything. Um, So I don't know. Maybe one day we'll do something else with the jam specifically. Yeah, yeah. Is that a big thing in radio? Like the relationships and romance? Like not in my in experience. No? no, not in my experience at all. But we just knew that we need. We really wanted that element as a part of it for the sake of TV, really. You know, and we and we felt that it was great, a great way to help the Fitzy character develop was to like show this immature person who starts to sort of understand, like, oh, and then to have Chrissy sort of recognize that, like, oh, there's actually a kindness in this dude that he's just rough and he needs to smooth it out but no in my experience no not at all yeah no i get I'm, i get it like so with story too you kind of need that so you're back at the mix now which is awesome yeah in the afternoons yeah. are you also still doing all of the digital stuff like the digital content for the station yeah yeah i am so in 2016 my wife and i decided to move to la so like the gms had happened and my wife's an actor and she'd always wanted to live in la i felt like i'd on my career professional side working as social media manager here at the mix i was also doing social media for the drive and for 100.3 and for the eric in the morning show and i was like kind of feeling like i was excited for some new like challenges and opportunities and so we ultimately made the decision we'd move to la so in 2016 we moved to la my first job in la i was ryan seacrest so social media manager. So I was like Ryan Seacrest on the internet for a while, (laughs) which was weird and fun. And he was amazing. He was really cool. And it was really a unique thing to go from like Eric in the morning here in Chicago to Ryan Seacrest, who was like a national brand on so many different levels. So it was wild to see that. Um, But ultimately it wasn't the thing I thought it would be. Like it wasn't as creatively fulfilling as I'd hoped it would be. Um, Again, like Ryan was so nice to me and he was great. He was very kind, but his business is sort of a machine now. You know what I mean? Like he's doing a thousand things at the highest level you can do them. So there's really no other way for it to exist. And so it wasn't as creatively fulfilling for me. And I was a little more interested in like sort of starting starting something or working on things that weren't as fully mechanized, I guess, for lack of a better word. You know what I mean? He was this like epic product. So I ended up leaving there. And then I searched for a while for some kind of a new gig. And all the while was writing and still working with Jim and the jams was still fresh and like had taken some meetings to talk about other shows we were working on. And so that was all exciting and happening. And I ultimately found myself at an ad agency starting doing social media and then became the associate creative director there. So the cool thing was it was a ad agency focused on video games so we worked with like 2k and sega and square enix and i got to write some commercials and i did a commercial with uh well i wrote a commercial i co-wrote a commercial and tom holland spider-man he was in it and hannibal burris was in it from chicago so like that was an amazing thing to do and i got to like direct a sonic the hedgehog commercial and there was just like a ton of really weird crazy things but it was so creatively fulfilling and fun um and my my wife and i were loving la and then i got a text from eric in chicago and he was like hey would you ever want to have a radio show and i was like yes of course i would that would be amazing (laughs) you know and he was like okay i'm gonna give your name to our new vice president so back in chicago the mix had undergone some staff changes and they had a new vp of brand and uh programming and his name's jimmy Steele. and so eric is like hey i want you to talk to this guy jimmy i'm like oh okay cool and i had stayed in touch with eric here and there like oh hey how are you what's going on or like oh i i was doing stand-up in la i was at the comedy store and i bumped into jeff garland 
then I was like, hey, you don't know me, but you know Eric Ferguson? And he was like, that's a good intro. Hi, how are you? I was like, oh, thank God. you know. And he's really good. Jeff's really good friends with the morning show executive producer here, John Swanson Swanee. So anyway, I would text Eric here and there like, oh, this is what's going on. How are you? Blah, blah, blah. So we stayed in touch. So it wasn't weird to hear from him. It was weird to hear from him if he's like, you want to do a radio show? I was right. like, with, you know. So then I talked to this guy, Jimmy, and he started talking to me about the idea of like, would I be interested in coming back to Chicago and hosting a show on the mix? And I was like, that sounds like a dream. Like I never, yeah. like, where is this coming from? Like, okay, crazy. And we talked and talked and talked for like a few months and ultimately came to the decision of like, you know, my wife and I were about to have our first child and we loved LA. We had no idea or thought that we'd leave, but then this opportunity sort of presented itself in a really weird way. And then with our daughter coming and everything, and both of our families are here. So we thought like, all right, we can always come back to LA. Mm-hmm. or go somewhere else like let's go back home for a little while and just see what this is and so that was in uh september of 2019 we moved back labor day weekend of 2019 and we've been back since and now i'm doing afternoons on the mix so yeah it's crazy <laughs> yeah it's like full circle but in a good way yeah it's really awesome. it's like art imitating life in a strange way yeah but it's you know like you said so fun like i have these weird um so I worked in ad, ad agencies for a oh, while cool. and yeah. I uh, don't do that anymore. But like I have these weird moments where I'm like, wouldn't it be awesome to be like a big deal in Terre Haute, yes. like on the radio? Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Like you you go and like Applebee's has a booth reserved for you and you're like, hell yeah, this is it. <laughs> like I've made it. Like that that's my. That's always been in the back of our mind for the jams. Like if we ever did more, like maybe those dudes get like, quote, demoted, but promoted like they're in. Right. Like, you know, they're in. um like i don't know some small like grand rapids or something like that yeah. it's like that's a known market but it's not massive but okay and if sure. they're doing pretty well in grand rapids like wait a second you could you could have a booth at applebee's in grand yeah. rapids you know what yeah. i mean yeah Absolutely. it's hilarious yeah if applebee's makes it long enough yeah God, exactly who knows, Apple, who knows? I lo- you know i love it. well you sh- you may not know i love an, an applebee's <laughs> i think it's underrated awesome well chris thanks for taking us through that i again i would encourage anybody to check out the jams it's a yeah, great please show do. you'll be pissed like me that you don't get to find out what happens at the end probably <laughs> uh, but i promise it's worth it do you have time to play a couple games before we go yeah dude let's do it and i will hold you to higher standards than most guests on this first game at least the starting because oh no you remember with these like fortune oh tellers? my gosh yes okay so i love boy bands yeah and so i'm gonna have you pick from the four on here which are 98 degrees one direction backstreet boys and in sync in sync in sync in sync <laughs> best boy band of all time no doubt uh one two three or four four a b c or d c c Okay, so what I'm doing here is um, for people that don't have a camera, there's this awesome <laughs> game that I love called Ask Me Anything, and there are four categories of questions, and so you just uncovered yellow, Okay. which oh, I'm going to randomly draw twin, 10 questions from the stack of yellow oh, cards. Oh my goodness, this so is awesome. It's, it's pretty fun. So the yellow category is called yay or nay. Okay. I will tell you, there have been a couple that I've tossed because they come up and they're, I'm like, I'm not, I can't ask that question, <laughs> but- Almost everything's on the table. So. Oh, my gosh. I hope one of the brands I endorse doesn't come up. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Do you have one specific nostalgic smell? Oh, dude. You know what's so weird you say that? I can specifically remember the smell of the bus at Disney World, like the bus that took us from oh. the hotel to Magic Kingdom. I don't know why. I think it's just a cleaner, but it... 
I'll be somewhere every once in a while and I'll catch it. And I'm like, what? Um, I don't know. It's so strange. So that one first. And then uh, secondary would be cigars. Remind me of my grandfather. But very specific cigars. I don't know anything about cigars. I don't smoke them. The times I ever have tried, I did not care for it. (laughs) Nothing bad about folks that do. But anyway. But yeah, like the right cigar smell will take me back to like sitting in front of his like lounge chair at their house. So yeah, those two things for sure. I a hundred dollars would bet you that Eric Ferguson smoked cigars. Yeah. Oh, I would, uh, I would yeah. take that bet. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So the next one is if you were in the hunger games, do you think you would win? Oh dude, what a dream. I, you know, I do. I want to say yes, but my fear is that I would get distracted by something and someone would sneak up behind me because I do get <laughs> distracted sometimes. So as long as I didn't have my phone with me, I think I could win. <laughs> but then again, I'd get lost because I, dude, I do not know North, South, East, West, whatever. Like I know when we're in Chicago, wherever the lake is, that's East. But then I don't know where the lake is sometimes because I'm like, where am I? And so I don't know. It's interesting you say that because people always talk about like how there are so many, you know, and it's like pretty much at this point with the rebuild on like a perfect grid almost. But I actually always had a really hard time. Like I knew how to get from place to place, but I didn't know, like I couldn't tell anybody else how to do it. And I would eventually figure it out. But I'm not a city driver, though. I grew up in a town of 600 people (laughs) at first. So cool. We'll do a couple more of these. All right, let's do it. (laughs) Do you enjoy sniffing your own body odor? Oh my God. No, not at all. I really generally hope that it doesn't happen at all. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever fake chugged or fake taken a shot because you were too drunk? Uh, not because I, yes, I have always faked, uh, not always, but I do fake it. Uh, not because I was too drunk, but because I didn't want to become too drunk. So like, for example, I've gone on a handful of the, uh, chips dip into Mexico trips that the morning Uh, show used to do, which is super fun. And when you're there, you're there with a very small group of fans of the show. So they know everybody. And often towards the end of the night, there's just shot after shot coming up or someone's handing you another thing. And so I've become very skilled at dumping the shot and not taking it. So yeah, because shots I don't care for. I love, I like to drink like IPAs and red wine or uh, vodka sodas. But when it comes to shots, I'm like, you know what, man? I'm just not built for it. I'm good. So yeah, I've become pretty good at that. I've done the same because of uh, like client dinners. Yes. And when I was young, I would like worked in advertising. They would want to go out and it would be yeah. like their big night out because they have kids and you know, whatever. So they're like, we're going to get, you know, it's like Tuesday night. We're going to get really messed up at Roca Accor. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I am not. Like I'm like, no, throwing I'm this over my shoulder. Yes. Dude, that's so funny because when I was in advertising, I never drank as much as I did in that industry, especially at conventions. It's like, okay, for, you know, it's a Thursday to Sunday convention and each night you're taking a different client out. And I was just like, I worked with this awesome dude. He's still one of the most talented account directors and just funniest people I know. And he was just built for that. Like he literally was built for it. He was a tank. And I was just like, you know what, dude, I will follow in your wake. You lead the charge. Like, let's just go. Okay. So we had to a train just went by. We had to pause. It might have gotten edited out of the podcast, right? But train makes me think of train the band. You know Ravinia in Highland Park? Oh, yeah. So phenomenal venue in Chicago. It's like this outdoor concert venue. They have this massive lawn. When you're at Ravinia, you really, it's weird because most of the people at Ravinia cannot see the stage because they're in the lawn, whatever. Correct. So I didn't even know there was a stage. And I've been there like three times. Yeah, there's a pavilion where you can like sit. But anyway, so back in the day, I'm working for the mix. I think this was like maybe right before or during the jams. Anyway, I get asked. They're like, hey, can you go to Ravinia Saturday night and introduce Train on behalf of the mix? And I was like, that sounds great. I'm in. Let's go. So me and Jim and 
and his wife, because my wife was working and not available. So the three of us, me, Jim, and his wife, we go to Ravinia to see Train. Andy Grammer is opening for Train. So I introduce Andy Grammer. I welcome every Andy Grammer comes on stage like, high five, Andy. All right, man, have a good set. And I'm like off stage. I leave. Then Andy does his set, which was great. And I was like really into it. I was a big fan of Andy Grammer at the time. Still am. He's great. Anyway, so then Andy wraps up and I get a call. They're like, hey, can you come back to the stage to announce Train? I'm like, yep. But at this point, we've eaten all the food we brought and we've had like most of the wine we brought, whatever. So I go back. I introduce Train. I come off. I walk back to Jim and his wife and we're kind of sitting there and Train's like about to start. Like they had me announce Train and then like the lights went down and whatever. And we're sitting there and I was like, do you guys want to go? And they were like, yeah, let's just leave. So we left before Train even performed. Like I introduced the band (laughs) and left before they even took the stage. So anyway. At the time, Jim was like, Jim could not get over how absurd it was that, like, the guy who'd announced the band was leaving. And I was like, well, are we bored? Like, I don't know. You guys just want to go? And no no harm, no foul against Train. They're great. But we were just, like, done, you know? Anyway. The thing that people listening who might not be from Chicago need to realize is that people roll into Ravinia with, yes. like, a full-on dining room. I mean, yes. there's like, it's like tables, candelabras, blankets, seven bottles of wine, like a four yes. course meal. It's like the whole thing. And so, yes. yeah, by the time you get to the the main person that's performing, you could be ready, like you could be ready for bed. And you've honestly. already been there probably for like four or five hours. Right. People you people get, get there, there super early. early. You got to get a good spot. Yeah, yep. for sure. The last question, random question. Have you ever dined and dashed? No, I've never dined and dashed. I don't know. I just, it feels dirty to me. I don't know. I've never done it. Yeah. I, <laughs> in high school one time, <laughs> I'm going to, this is terrible. In high school one time, there was a kid that went to high school with me and he was a server at a restaurant. And so, you know, I'm like 16, 17, don't have much money, whatever. It's me and my brothers were there. And he's like, hey, if you like walk out on the bill, you know, because our bill was probably like, I don't know, what, 40, almost $40. It was like a sit down restaurant comparable to like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good example because you don't have them here. It's terrible. Anyway, he's like, I will like dispose of your ticket, your receipt, if you give me like a $20 bill. So it was basically like a 50% savings. Got it. So I did it and it was like the dumbest thing ever. And I felt terrible about it. I actually ended up going back to the restaurant and trying to like pay for the bill. And I don't think they ever got like, they They thought I was just like bullshitting like that, like what had happened. You know what I mean? But like, I guess it was like a scam he would run because like, you know, he would get more in his pocket because it would be like, right. That's just pure cash. Yeah. 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 And wow. obviously, like, now I'm like, that's so embarrassing. I can't believe I ever did that even once. But, like, yeah, I'm so- – oh, my God. I hope my mom doesn't hear this. I'm going to be nah. in trouble. Next time I'm home, she's going to be like, we're going to go down there. Yeah. You're going to talk to the manager. <laughs> like, You're the restaurant's explain- not even there. They're 100% there. <laughs> Awesome. So one more game, if if, yeah. that, if you're cool with that. So yeah, this yeah. one, and this is the pressure's on for you oh, here, okay. only Watch because out. of Man. your radio background. Oh, so no. what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you, I have like different scenarios, and I want you to tell me if you were making like a mix CD, what would you put on the CD for each of these scenarios or situations? I love this. Okay. What song? Okay. So let's start with, this one's uh, maybe heavy, but it's an, I think it's kind of an easy one. First, wedding, first dance. <laughs> I thought you were going to be like funeral. <laughs> Wedding, That's first next. dance. I will go with the song we we used, which was Ingrid Michaelson's version of Can't Help Falling in Love. No, okay. I can't help. Yeah, Falling in Love with You. I don't know the actual title of that song. I only know it as I Can't Help Falling in Love or Can't Help Falling in Love. But you know the one. I do know the one, but I actually don't know if it's, I don't know what it's called either. Okay. Yeah. 
for this one, take take yourself back to Terre Haute, like where you were just at the Applebee's, uh, and you go to the local strip club. So the stripper oh is taking God. the main stage at the local strip club. For sure. What's the song that they dance to? Uh, Ludacris, Shake Your Money Maker. I feel like oh. that would be uh, pretty much yeah. the vibe I would want. Yeah. I will also say I just like strip clubs aren't my bag, I guess. I don't know. The couple times I've had to go or in the ad agency world, we would be like, hey, our client <laughs> wants to go to a strip. I'm like, we have to go to a strip club with this person. Uh huh. Jesus Christ. Anyway, I've never seen this firsthand, but I've heard at one of the agencies that I worked at that people used to spend so much at the strip club that they would be basically like doing lines of coke off the strippers bodies. And I'm Whoa. like, how did those expense reports get through? Yeah, like, I can't even take that? a cab. That never happened in my experience. I no, can say I that. mean me either. But you know, yeah. it could it could all be legend. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. But that, for sure. I will say that agency's out of business. Um, there you go. So there you go. <laughs> uh, the first song to get pumped up for a road trip. Oh, dude! First song to get pumped up for a road trip. It's funny because every time I ask you, I like hear one in my head. You know? Yeah, and for I'm sure. Like, yeah, oh. you have your instant answer. I'm gonna go with the song. So when we moved to L.A., we drove there. So that was like an epic four-day road trip. But the song we kept going back to was Brand New by Ben Rector. Uh, I'm going to go with that. It's got like a nice like uh, like heavy beat to it. But it's not too hard that like you get you get exhausted early. Uh, so something to go Especially with. Especially on a four-day one, you got to pace yourself. Yeah, you got to pace it. To pump up a crowd. Thunderstruck, ACDC. Oh, good one. Good one. For I would not have one for this. Uh, workout <laughs> list. Oh, dude, workout. I used to enjoy working out to like early day Fallout Boy music, like their album <laughs> Take Take This to Your Grave, where they were like still a little angry and not mm-hmm. yet hyper successful. Foo Fighters was always good too. Like I like okay. rock when I'm working out. Best of You by Foo Fighters. That's what I'm going to oh, go with. It's a great Best song. Best of You by Foo Fighters because that gets you amped up as well. That is a great song. Uh, to get over a breakup. Oh. Okay, so it's funny because we keep playing Olivia Rodrigo Driver's License on the mix right now. We're playing the, the crap out of that song. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it always makes me think of Dashboard Confessional. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. So I would say kind of anything by Dashboard at the time. Yeah. Oh, that was such great music to be depressed right? to. 100%. It's like the, the best. Yeah. To kick off day drinking. Woo! Man, that is interesting. Because, again, it's a marathon. I don't want to go too hot, too hard, too heavy. See, and now I'm thinking, because most of the time if I day drink, it's at like a Bears tailgate. But then it's a lot of like 80s rock generally yep. in that parking lot. So you're getting like Guns and Roses, blah, blah, blah. But for me, if I'm in the yard and we're, we got some friends over and we're like barbecuing, honestly, listening to the Cubs game. But that's not that's probably not <laughs> that's probably not an answer. I would say something. Yeah, like something pop friendly. I might go with like um, and something I know. Oh, this is interesting. This is the hardest one. Why is yeah. this so hard? What song? See, I don't really, country music really isn't my bag, but I do feel like country music is generally, a lot of pop country yeah, is perfect for this. For it's drinking. like perfect for day drinking. You know That's what I mean? where my head's going, like Florida, Georgia yeah. line. Yeah, 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 like, like those guys. But anything. I don't, yes, like any of that works really well. But since I'm not a massive country fan, I would go like Jason Mraz, The Remedy. I would start oh, there yeah. because I feel like that's like pop. It's light enough where you're not going to get exhausted to start your day, but you're still yeah. like, okay, we're in a groove. Like this feels good. And you know all the words. So yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah. that's where I'm going to go. I used to love Geek in the Pink. That was such yes. a great Jason Mraz song. And the fu- he hates, I'm a massive Jason Mraz fan. Or I, well, I, I would say that my fandom has cooled. But anyway, <laughs> but he uh, he hates that album. He hates it. It's a great album. It, as your wrestling entrance music. Dude, okay. I already said Thunderstruck. Because I do feel like there's a really great opportunity here to do something ironic where the crowd is like, why is he playing Creed's <laughs> higher? Uh, but I would, not, I would not choose Creed's higher. Yeah, man, I want the crowd to go. I can't do John Cena's entrance music because he already has it and he may be coming back he, yeah right hey 
If the check clears. Uh, my wrestling entrance music has to be fast and strong, but also like X going to give it to you from DMX. I feel like that would get like a reaction that I'd want. Yeah, you'd have to be a you'd have to be a baby face for sure. Hundred percent. I'd yeah. have to. I'd have no choice. I'd yeah. have no choice. Yeah. I'd be like, look at all the hair product. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's go with that for now because I do feel like I also love like Ludacris is probably my favorite rapper. But all right, we'll go with DMX for now. Let's go with that one. That's it. yeah. I think the crowd will respond to sing your daughter to sleep. Oh, Jason Moraz has a song called "Sleeping to Dream," which is phenomenal. I also sing her. Oddly enough, well, he has another song called um, "It's called Live High," <laughs> but that song is really pretty, and I'll sing that to her. But yeah, "Sleeping to Dream" by Jason Moraz is a great one. I've also been singing her a lot of Dave Matthews for some reason because it's just okay. in the back of my head, which is weird and funny. I'll go Jason Moraz, "Sleeping to Dream." Yeah, for sure. Two more. So yeah. unboxing a new pair of sneakers. Oh, dude, this is great. There's this band I love called Fickle Friends that a lot of folks don't know, and they're awesome. The song is called Love Sick, and that would be the song for the sneaker reveal. Fickle Friends, Love Sick, final answer. Final answer. <laughs> Last one. This is a song that you get to play as you're walking out of a job that you just quit really oh, pissed yeah. off. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love this. Uh, Ed Sheeran, You Need Me, I Don't Need You. Wow. Yeah. Have you seen Ed Sheeran live? Okay, so yes and no. I've seen him do like an acoustic set yeah. backstage, which sounds very like name dropping oh, to say. Oh, well, well, well. Yeah, this guy's a real <laughs> asshole. No, so I saw that, but I didn't have tickets to the concert. Like I was there with our radio winners and then they all had tickets and we didn't. So they all went into the concert and I was like, all right, good night. So it was um, like train. You're like, but, I'm going home. <laughs> yeah. But no, I'm a big Ed Sheeran fan. Yeah. Like him a lot. I play guitar and sing and stuff too. And I used to do it a lot more than I have in the last few years. But I used to do gigs in and around Chicago at like Elbow Room or like I had oh, this yeah. standing gig at the Hyatt Mag Mile where I'd sit in the lobby and play guitar and sing. And I had a loop pedal and I would do loops like he does. And I'd like yeah. loop vocals and guitars and beatboxing and blah, blah, blah. But it was the most soul crushing gig of all time because it was like in a hotel lobby from five to seven weeknights. And so it was oh, yeah. just like business travelers and divorcees and that was what was in the <laughs> lobby and at one point there was like an old folks home convention or something and there was like the first time there was a crowd there was like 50 grandparents in there like all eating like shrimp cocktail and drinking like gin i don't know and this old guy walked up to me and he stood like three feet away from me and he was like we don't want you here <laughs> Well, I was in the middle of a song and I was stopped and I was like, oh, and I was like playing music. I was like playing guitar and talking to this guy off mic. I was like, they hired me to be here. Like, I don't know what to tell you. And so then the manager came over and he was like, sir, we've hired this guy to play music. Can you leave him alone? And then shortly thereafter, another gentleman from that group literally stood at my microphone with his back to me eating a shrimp cocktail. And it was the most soul crushing moment of my performing life. Wow. Yeah, dude. Like, wow. you guys don't like Jason Mraz or Ed Sheeran covers or here's an original. No? All right. Tough crowd. <laughs> Ed Sheeran is great. I was not an Ed Sheeran fan. I, I went with my wife because she wanted to see him in concert. We went for her birthday, saw him, and, like, respected the hell out of him. It was yeah, like, dude. like you said, it was just him standing there forever singing, amazing, playing guitar, like the looped. I, it was a, I like, left that being yeah. a huge Ed Sheeran fan. So. He sold out Wembley Stadium for, like, two or three nights in a row. 
just himself with a guitar and a loop pedal. And that to me is mind boggling. Like yeah. that's crazy. Awesome. Well, thanks for, thanks for playing with us. Yeah, that was fun. This is the point in the podcast where again, I can feel like I keep saying the pressure's on, but the pressure's on because this is the part where you get a friend request from me. And so Chris oh. Petlack, Logan Cummins has sent you a friend request. Do you confirm or delete it? I will 100% confirm the friend request. 100%. Sweet. Let's tell the listeners where they can catch you, where they can catch the jam. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Plug, plug, plug. Plug, plug, plug. Uh, so, yeah, if you want to watch the jams, which we would love that, you can check that out on Apple TV Plus or Amazon Prime Video. And I believe you can still get it on YouTube Red. So you can check it out there. Uh, or YouTube Premium. I don't even know what they call it anymore, but it's there. <laughs> get the free trial and watch all four episodes in a night and have a good time. So that's there. And then um, you can find me on the mix uh, in Chicago. You can listen at WTMX.com or with our free mix app or in your car on the radio. So you can get the mix app in the Apple App Store and Google Play. So that would be awesome. We'd love if you check that out and i guess you can follow me on social media if you want at chris petlack it's just my name and i'm at all those things i think that's all the stuff dude thank you so much it was it was great having you on yeah. and talking to you and hearing more about the jams um, thank as you a yeah this boy. was really cool <laughs> i haven't honestly it's weird like and i probably was not as concise as i've been in the past because i haven't talked about it in a really long time so it was fun to get to kind of talk about it again and like i said if, if you get to talk to jim which i will tell him to talk to you and you he'll be your friend too it was like such a crazy cool experience so it's fun to talk about it again yeah i would love to talk to jim send him my way i will i will awesome thank you so much yeah you bet thank you take care bye Thanks for listening to the Fast Friends Podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for an all-new episode. Go ahead and hit subscribe so you don't miss it. You can follow me on Twitter at Logan Cummins. And if you have a suggestion on someone that I should be friends with, go ahead and let me know at fastfriendspodcast.com.